Is it me? Well, good morning, Faith family. So good to see you guys as we come together for worship on this Lord's Day morning. Just a quick word of welcome. So glad that you are here. If you are visiting with us this morning, these little yellow cards are in the pews in front of you. They're in the hallway just outside the sanctuary. If you are visiting with us, we would love to be able to connect with you. So we would love for you to fill out this connection card. Just to give us a little information about you so that we can connect, so that we can uh, answer any questions that you may have about what's going on here at Faith Family. And then if you would fill that out, and there are a couple of their baskets just as you make your way out the doors, if you could drop those in the basket, let that be your offering to us today. Uh, we would love to connect with you. As folks continue to kind of file in this morning, would you take a look at the screens and let's see what's happening this week at Faith Family. Hey, good morning, Faith Family. So good to be in worship uh, with you guys on this Sunday morning. Uh, It's the first Sunday of December. Christmas is upon us. Let me just say a quick thank you to those who had a hand in decorating sanctuary, other parts of the building. Everything looks great uh, as we are moving our way through this Advent and Christmas season. I want to make you aware of a few things that are going on in the life of our church body uh, over the next week or, or two. Let me remind us that next Sunday, the 11th, is a big Sunday for us, several things going on. That morning, we will begin receiving the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for foreign missions. Uh, every penny of this offering goes to support international missionaries on the mission field. I, I hope you've been thinking about that and praying as to how the Lord would have you to give toward this special offering next Sunday. And then next Sunday afternoon and evening, beginning at 4, we will gather together in the gym. We will uh, we'll have a time just of fellowship together. Many of you have already signed up uh, to bring food for that. We're so thankful. And then immediately following that, we're going to be going out and Christmas caroling to some of our families in our church and our community. Many of you have signed up for that as well. It's not too late to get signed up for those things. Uh, See Alex today if you have any questions about that. Coming up on December 16th and 17th, uh, we will have the Fostering Together Christmas basket distribution here from the church. We still need many hands to help out that day to help uh, get items out to our families that that are going to be utilizing that. You can sign up through the newsletter. Uh, You can sign up on the sign-up sheets in the back of the sanctuary. See Daisy McVeigh. And she can get you pointed in the right direction on that. And then the last thing to make us aware of today is that we now have an open position in our preschool for one of our aftercare workers. Um, If you would like to apply for that, if you know somebody that would like to apply for that, they must be 17 years or older and they're committing to three days a week, uh, 2.50 to 6 o'clock in the afternoon. See NIFA more on that. Uh, to get more information. It's so great to have you in worship with us. Uh, let's prepare our hearts uh, to worship together as Alex comes to lead us this morning. Well, good morning, church family. Let's stand as we open in worship.
to the second Sunday of Advent, this season, as we both look backward and we look forward. We look backward to the first coming, the first arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it is that He came to do for us upon that first coming. Advent, though, also compels us to look forward to another coming, another arrival of which we wait, the coming again, the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in these weeks leading up to Christmas, we're able to draw our hearts into particular attributes of who God is and how He has dealt with us in sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, uh, as Lee and his family, there you guys are, if y'all would come forward and lead us in thinking about the love of God given to us in Christ this morning, hearing from the Word of God, reminding us of God's great covenant love with which He has loved His people. Let's continue to worship together. So today, on the second day of Advent, we focus on the love of God towards His people. Our sin has separated us from God and earned the consequence of death. Yet out of His great character of love, God has sent His Son to rescue ransom, and redeem his people from their sins. Today, as we hear about the love of God from God's word, may his people not forget that Christmas is a glorious display of the love of God. This is the word of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you 
were more in number than any other people, that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be the slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Now in, verse, now in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 1, we read, At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then finally, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. Oh, sorry, let's light the candles first and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, your love is everlasting. Your love is patient, Lord. Even when we are deserving of your wrath, Lord, give us warning. Give us grace. You have rescued your people. Lord, you have rescued us from our sins. You have held nothing back from us. Lord, you sent your very own son to this earth. Lord, to, to, to be, to become a man and to live the perfect life that we could not live. To die the death that we could not die. Lord, through your love and through your grace, Lord, we have hope. 
share that love with others. That we would not hide that light that you have that you have sparked within us, my Lord. That we would shine our light before all men, so that all men may come to know you and the love that you have shown them. Lord, I pray as we continue on in worship that we remember this love and that our hearts will be stirred towards you. We just need to pray. stand as we continue in worship. Yeah. 
So if you would direct your attention to the screens, we are going to look at a verse of scripture this morning. Uh, this, this time in our service, we, we look at scripture for the sake of memorizing, for the sake of writing it on our hearts, putting it within our souls that God's word would direct us. He would direct our hearts and our minds now over the next few moments, but also as we leave, as we go, as we eat, that God's word would would uh, speak to us as we go about other things through the day, through the week, that God's word would be there. And so it's more than just a mental exercise, more than just, just putting something in your mind, but that God's word would work within you, purify, direct, guide your thoughts. And so if you would, as you direct your attention to the screens, let's recite this one verse from John 1. If you would follow with me, let's recite it out loud. And uh, then we will we'll pray. All right? Y'all ready? And we'll take that as a yes. All right. Here we go. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. So John has just told us that the word has always existed. He was in the beginning. He made all things. If it exists, he made it. And then he tells us who this word is and that the word is specific. It's a, such a packed term for the one who orders, created, who is the author of everything we see, know, and that we benefit from. 
Christ Jesus is the word in that he has made all things and when we see him, we see the expression of who God is. We can't see the Father. He is spirit. He is immaterial. He always has existed, always will, but God has revealed himself in his son by taking flesh so that we see God in Christ. We see exactly who he is, his nature, the radiance of his glory we see in Jesus. And so as we're celebrating Christmas and Advent, be reminded the word God the Son took flesh upon him. He added humanity to himself that we would know him and that we would know the love of God. There is no greater expression of the love of God than in Christ. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your son. I thank you that you sent your son to save. You sent him to take exactly what we are upon himself, to add it to him that he would bear the burden of the sin of the world and that he would die, that his perfect, pure blood would atone and pay for our sin. God, I thank you. I thank you for that gift of grace. Apart from you, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that the depth of the sin of my heart. But that as you have spoken and revealed and shown our desperate need for grace and forgiveness, and not only have you shown it to us, but shown us the abundance of your love, that you have made a way the way and the truth and the life. That the only way we can be made right and forgiven before you is through your son. So God, may we see his glory today. Would you uplift him in our affections and our attentions this morning? That God, we would be drawn to you. God, we would see the glorious love you have given to us. Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. God's word and join me this morning back in Matthew's gospel chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 this morning verses 18 to 25 is our text together. Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 25. If you were here with us last Sunday we began New study through Matthew's gospel. We looked at verses 1 to 17, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we reminded ourselves together that at the outset of his gospel account, that what Matthew is revealing and setting out to show is that Jesus is, in fact, the long-awaited, long-promised Messiah, by revealing Jesus' genealogy in those opening verses. Matthew proves that Jesus is from the right family, that he is from the right line, and that he is the one who will come to save his people from their sins. And so as we continue in the the, uh, chapter 1, the verses following right after this, in verses 18 to 25, we come together to study the announcement of the birth of Jesus. You recall that Luke also records a similar announcement given to Mary and then other details surrounding the birth 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew's account is a little more brief, and the announcement of the birth of Jesus in his gospel account is one that comes from the angelic messenger to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. And just looking at these verses, reading these verses, and studying them again over this past week, I I had this thought that passed through my mind that it, it doesn't matter how many times You've read maybe the, the Christmas story, as we might would call it. It doesn't matter how many times you might preach a text such as this. Whenever we come to this part of the gospel accounts, we are once again confronted with the miraculous and the glorious and the, the, the beauty of such a beautiful story. From a human perspective, As we look at these things together, from a human perspective, this story is absolutely impossible. From a human perspective, from all logic, from all good human sense, this story is absolutely illogical. From a human perspective, it is absolutely insane, and no sane person would dare to believe it. However, in this story we find the hand of God at work. In this story, we find the hand of God at work to bring about salvation for His chosen people and to do for them what they could not do for themselves. In this story, in these verses, we come face to face with necessities, things that we must believe We come face to face with glorious realities of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And we come face to face with this amazing promise that the nearness of God is always ours and it is always our good. And so as we come to these verses, maybe to many of you familiar verses, can I ask that maybe we approach these verses as though we have never read them before. Can we approach these verses together, if somehow possible, as though they are fresh and new to our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds? Can we once again gaze into the beauty of God's Word and behold a glorious Savior given for us? In these uh, verses 18 to 25, we come to see together three particular aspects, three aspects of this announcement of Jesus' birth. Three announcement, three aspects of the announcement of Jesus' birth. And in verse 18, we see the first one here together. We see the necessity of the virgin birth. In verse 18, we see here the necessity of the virgin birth. Pick up the text with me in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. You know the scene, Mary and Joseph, righteous Mary who has found grace in the eyes of the Lord, noble and righteous Joseph who no doubt loves his betrothed, as no doubt seeking to care for her, to provide for her as husband is called to do. And there comes a day upon their lives in the midst of that betrothal, in the midst of that relationship that is heading toward marriage, 
an announcement gets made. And we don't exactly know all the details of how this would have happened. Somewhere along the line, Mary comes to Joseph and says, I am with child. We're reading in verse 18 that there's something miraculous going on here. In verse 18, something that just humanly does not make sense that she is found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph are betrothed to one another. They are in a legally binding agreement with one another. It is almost as though they are actually married. Documents have been signed. A home has been established. The only thing that hasn't taken place is the actual wedding ceremony or the consummation of that marriage. So in verse 18, when it says that before they came together, before that marriage ceremony, before the consummation of that marriage, Mary is found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Without Joseph and Mary's marriage, Mary becomes pregnant. Somehow, many details unknown to us. Don't we wish we knew so many of these details? Mary, the virgin, is with child. Through the Holy Spirit of God, Mary becomes pregnant. Luke chapter 1 verse 35 tells us that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And again, what are all the details about how then she actually becomes pregnant? We do not know except that it is a work of God. It is God who in Mary's womb causes a life to come to being, causes the life to come to being in her womb. And church, here in verse 18, we're confronted with one of the most essential tenets of the faith. Here in verse 18, in this birth narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not just a mere story that we can pay attention to kind of one time a year, but we are confronted here with a theological, doctrinal, essential tenet of the faith that of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot be orthodox. We cannot be in right standing with the teaching of the Bible and the faithful teaching of the church over the last 2,000 years apart from a belief in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why must we believe this then? Why is this an essential tenet of the faith. Well, number one, maybe most simply this morning, we must believe this, and we must believe that it happened exactly the way that Scripture describes it because Scripture prophesied that this would actually be the case. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. We believe that this is true. We believe that it happened in Matthew and Luke's gospel accounts as they say because it was prophesied hundreds upon hundreds of years before Christ would come that he would be born of a virgin. Therefore, we are bound to believe it. But then secondly, 
maybe a little more deeply for us this morning, we must believe this. We must believe in the virgin birth that Jesus is conceived and born of a virgin because if Jesus had been conceived through normal means, he would have inherited a sin nature passed down from his earthly father, Joseph. So I want you to think with me for just a moment about how this fits together and maybe to think all the way back to creation, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God's creative order and design in Genesis is that Adam, the first man, would be the head of not just the entire human race, but of his home, of his marriage, later his children and family. And as the God-appointed head, when sin entered the world, it is to Adam that guilt, that culpability is given. Adam failed in his headship. Adam failed at what he was called to do, which is why we need the second and better Adam, Jesus. Adam failed in his headship, and so as a result, now through Adam, sin is passed down to his children and subsequent line throughout the ages. So Paul is picking up this idea for us in a place like Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin Or just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And what we're finding in that is that our head, Adam, if you will, has passed down sin, the sin nature to all generations, rendering all who would come from his line as sinners with a sin nature. John MacArthur is helpful here when he said this, just as Adam bequeathed his physical nature to his posterity, he also bequeathed to them his spiritual nature, which henceforth was characterized and dominated by sin. And so then, if Jesus has an earthly father who is an agent in his conception, the sin nature of that father is passed down to Jesus. And you begin to see the problems that arise. If Jesus is conceived of an earthly father through normal means and inherits that corrupt and depraved sin nature. However, church, however, since he was not conceived by normal means and was conceived by an act of divine power through the Holy Spirit, even though he is fully human, he did not inherit a sin nature from Joseph. As one commentator has said, Jesus is from the line of David, but not the flesh of David. I think that helps us in understanding the dynamics that are at work here and understanding the necessity of the virgin birth. Because if Jesus inherits the sin nature, he is not able to be our substitute on the cross. He is no longer sinless. He is not God. And church, you have no Savior. And if that be the case, then the lights and the songs and the celebration mean absolutely nothing. But if he is of divine conception and of virgin birth, then he is divine. He is God. He is the God-man who is able to come and save his people from their sins. Church, the virgin birth 
It's not just an interesting part of the Christmas story. It is a necessary tenet of the faith. A right belief in Christ. A right celebration of Christmas believes in Jesus as the God-man who came and in no way was tainted by sin, thereby being able to be God's atonement provided for our sins. Church, there's a necessity that lies at the heart of the gospel story, not just the Christmas story, but the very good news story of who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. And what lies at the heart of that is that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. Without it, we have nothing. But because of it, O oh church, we have everything. Wonder of wonders that God would come as a man. Mystery of mysteries is God's salvation plan. Beauty of beauties, though man he sinless be, glory of glories, he came for me. Look in verse 19. The story continues. There's so much to think about here. We don't have time for all of this, but Joseph... Her husband called her husband, though not yet actually married because they're in this legally binding relationship. They are as good as married. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. The love of my life is pregnant, and I had nothing to do with that. And every explanation that she gives just seems as lies to me. There's no possible way, right? No possible way that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. How can that be? Under Jewish law, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 20 to 24, Mary could have been stoned to death for this seeming adultery. However, Joseph, righteous Joseph, good Joseph, caring, kind, loving Joseph, does not want her to be publicly disgraced, certainly does not want her to be stoned, and so what is his plan? I'll just figure this out somehow, we'll do this quietly, secretly, we won't make a big thing about it, and there's just going to be a certificate of divorce, and this relationship is now over. Oh, how his heart must have broke. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she's not lying. What she said to you is true. The child in her womb is, in fact, the angelic messenger of God says, of the Holy Spirit. And notice how the angel refers to Joseph there in verse 20. Joseph, son of David. Why does the angel refer to Joseph in this way? The angel comes 
with a message from God. This is what angels are. The word angel means messenger, so they don't speak of their own accord. They speak the message of the one who has sent them. So this angelic messenger comes from God to Joseph, son of David, reminding Joseph of his family lineage is going to help him understand and see and believe the truthfulness of what the angel is about to say, that that child in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. What the message of God to Joseph is doing is it's helping put some theological things together. And maybe in this moment, Joseph begins to remember the things that he was taught as a child, the things that he has read from God's word about the promised and the coming Messiah who would come from David's line to establish David's eternal kingdom. So Joseph, son of David, she is in fact can. That baby in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Pick up with me secondly though, in verse 21, the second aspect of the announcement of Jesus' birth is this, we come to see the name of this promised Messiah. The name of this Messiah. By the way, this is the whole crux of the sermon, so don't check out on verse 21. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You will call his name Jesus, Joseph. And here's why. Because that baby in Mary's womb, conceived of the Holy Spirit, that's the one. Can you imagine that moment, right? Like all the hopes, all the promises, all the centuries all the longing, all the silence of God for the 400 years prior. And now, the message comes from God through the angel to Joseph. That's the one. That's the one who will save his people from their sins. You will call his name Jesus. Jesus. The Hebrew form of that name is Joshua. Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves or God is salvation. He will save his people from their sins because he is the God who saves. He is the Yahweh, the pre-existent, eternal, self-sufficient, salvation God. Now come into Mary's womb in the flesh. Joseph, name him Jesus because he is God who saves. Joseph, name him Jesus Because he's the long-promised and long-awaited Savior now coming at the fullness of time to save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus. Notice the second half of that. He will save his people from their sins. He, Joseph, he will do it. There is salvation in none other. He. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Not Mary, not you, not any work or will of man will do it, but he is the one who will save his people from their sins, Joseph. Name him Jesus. There is no other Savior, church. That's what Christmas is declaring to you. 
It's declaring a glorious theological reality that there is salvation in none other. Jesus is God's appointed means of salvation. There is no other. Name him Jesus, for he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Name him Jesus, because there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He will save. Oh, church, don't you love the certainty of that? He might save. There's no hope in that. There's no good news in that. It's a little up in the air as if to whether or not he, he can save. It's a pretty big mess down here. He will save his people from their sins. In his name, Jesus Yahweh saves. There is no question of whether he will save, but a declaration that he will save. Because church, Jesus didn't come to just merely make something possible. He came to save his people from their sins. So, verse 21, what is that something that Jesus is going to accomplish? The salvation of his people. He will save his people. The salvation of his chosen, precious bride. What is he saving his people from in verse 21? He's saving them from their sins. Jesus is not coming to make me a better version of me. He's coming to do for me that which must be done and that which I cannot in a million lifetimes do for myself. To save me from my sins. And so church, Christmas is God's declaration. I will not leave you in the bondage of sin. My son will redeem you. I will not leave you under the curse of sin. My son will free you. It is God's declaration to us, church. I will not leave you separated from me because of, my, uh, because of your sin. My son will reconcile you. I will not leave you stained by sin. My son will cleanse you. I will not leave you under my wrath because of your sin. My son will save you. That's what God is saying at the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is God's declaration. I love you, my precious chosen people, and I will not leave you in your sin. Here is my son for. Charles Spurgeon, the Lord of glory is born the Son of Man, is named by God's command and by man's mouth, Jesus the Savior. He is what he is called. He saves us from the punishment and the guilt of sin and then from the ill effect and evil power of sin. If you're in the room this morning and you know the Lord's salvation in Jesus Christ. Oh, church, worship, celebrate, and respond by giving to God 
your all for his immeasurable gift of his son who has come to save his people from their sins. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you are not right with God, you are still bound in your sin, then come to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Cry out in faith that he alone is Savior. You will find such sweet, measurable grace from the Lord God. And then thirdly, thirdly, third aspect of the announcement of Jesus' birth, we find in his birth the nearness of God. The nearness of God. There's the necessity of his virgin birth. There is his name which declares what it is that he came to do. And church, wonder of wonders, we find that God has come near to us. He's come near to us. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Jesus came the way he came because it had been prophesied by Isaiah. And in verse 23, the angel there is quoting from Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 10. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, taking elements from those verses and putting them together in this announcement of who the Lord Jesus is. And then look at the second half of verse 23, quoting that Isaiah text, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So church, let this settle into your soul for a moment. That in the incarnation of Jesus, the transcendent, untouchable, distant God has come near to us. Christmas means that the God of Exodus 19 and verse 12, who said, do not come near to my presence or touch this mountain lest you die, now says through his Son, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The coming of Jesus means that the God who has previously been untouchable becomes in Christ he whom we have seen with our eyes and we have beheld and our hands have handled the word of life. 1 John 1, 1. Even better still, church, is the reality that Jesus coming to earth means that the promise of God from Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6, I will never leave you or forsake you, is now fulfilled in a person with flesh and bone, the Lord Jesus Christ. You recall in the Old Testament Scriptures, we read that while 
God most certainly dwelt, dwelled among his people, he was essentially off limits, if you will, to everyone but the priest. You remember the construction of the tabernacle there in those latter chapters of Exodus? And everything about the construction of that tabernacle is saying, I am holy. I am separate and distinct from all creation and even from the people that I have made. There is only one person in all of Israel who one time a year on the Day of Atonement might come into my actual presence. And even though God dwells among them in the center of the camp, there in the tabernacle, everything about the tabernacle is saying to the people, don't get too close. Don't come in your sinfulness near the holiness of God or you die. But now, but now through the coming of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, church, you and I as his people now have unfettered, complete access to our God who is with us, near to us, close to us. Do you note how Matthew's gospel account begins and also ends? There's bookends here. At the beginning, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, God with us. And do you remember how Matthew's gospel account ends? In Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How? Why? Because he is Emmanuel, God with us, church. King Jesus is not a distant, unknowable king. He has come to us. He is near to us. And so we can say with Asaph, the psalmist, the nearness of God is my good. It's not something that causes terror in me. It is my good. It is not something that I perceive as bad because if I get too close, I die. It is my good in Christ. He is our great high priest who has come near. Verses 24 and 25, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin just to maintain the integrity of the Holy Spirit conception and birth by a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Church, what an unfathomable grace that God would come near to us. What an unfathomable grace that the pure and holy God would become man, would take on flesh, he would have bones tendons and sinews and arteries and a heart that pumped blood. Brain functioned in all of its complexity. 
that he would come in the flesh into the world that he made, that he would sink down into the muck and the mire of our sin, of our death, and our brokenness to save us from our sins. Previously, again, when sinful man touched God's holiness, sinful man died. But now in Christ, when sinful man touches God's holiness, there is healing and there is life. You see how magnificent, how glorious, how beautiful the coming of Christ for us is because He came to save us, church. Not just from kind of some bad stuff going on in culture, not just from bad political leaders. He came to save me from my sin that justly warrants the wrath of holy God. That's the beauty of Christmas, by the way. The beauty of Christmas is not in the twinkling lights, and it's not in the sentimental feeling we get while singing Silent Night. Look, I hope your lights are twinkling, and I hope you sing Silent Night. But in those things are not the beauty of Christmas. The beauty of Christmas is this breathtaking mystery that Emmanuel is God with us. Beyond all of this, church, the virgin birth of Jesus reminds us that salvation is the work of God and not of man. It's the work of God. It's something that only God could do. Only God could do what God did in the birth, in the conception and in the birth of His appointed Savior. Again, friends, salvation from sin, the only way that you receive that is by coming through God's appointed Savior, not our own self-appointed surrogate Savior, which is actually no Savior at all. Are you in Christ this morning? Do you know Him? Will you turn from your sin and will you call out in faith to Him today? For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me close with this from J.C. Ryle. Let these thoughts sink down into our minds. Let us bless God for the encouraging truths which the first chapter of the New Testament contains. It tells us of one who saves his people from their sins. But this is not all. It tells us that this Savior is Emmanuel, God himself and yet God with us. God manifest in human flesh like our own. This is glad tidings. This is indeed good news. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you that God, you did not leave it to us to devise a plan that would save us from our sins. 
Father, if, if we had, it, it would have certainly gone awry. It, it would have been tainted and twisted. We, we would have exalted ourselves, the pride of our own hearts, the accomplishments of our own hands, as a sufficient means, God, to be right with you. God, you didn't leave us to ourselves. You did not leave us in our sinful death. God, you did not leave us in the stench and decay of our sin. God, from eternity past, you, the omniscient, all-wise, all-knowing God, Father, there was in your heart redemption's plan. And it involved the coming of your Son in human flesh through a virgin's womb to the earth to be the sinless, unstained, unblemished, holy, atoning sacrifice. And Father, for the church, this morning, for those in Christ, for those who are your people. God, overwhelm our hearts with joy and thankfulness. Compel us, O God, to love you, to delight in you, to serve you, to make you known. God, I pray that the details of Matthew 1, 18 to 25, the details of this virgin birth and how you have come near to us in your son, Jesus, oh God, that that, that would be the theme that compels us to heights of worship and celebration over these coming weeks. God, I pray that every single day of our lives, whether it be December or some other time, God, that every day of our lives would be a celebratory remembrance, God, of what you have done for us in Christ and that we would never get over, that we would never stop stop marveling at the wonder of the incarnation of Christ. And what is now true for us because of him, Father, we also pray this morning most earnestly, O God, for those in the room who are not right with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. They're still under the bondage and in the chains of their sin. The lie of the world is that they are free, but the truth of your word, God, is that they are bound in their chains. Oh God, I pray that in their hearts, in the quietness of this moment, oh God, that you would reveal to them that they are in bondage. That their means of salvation is only a means of further bondage to their sin. And oh God, that in this moment, this very day, God, that they would understand by your Spirit's work in them 
God, use your spirit to move in them so that they would understand that only in Christ are they saved from their sins. God, that they would turn to him, call out to him faith, Father, believing who Matthew tells us he is and what he has done for us. Oh God, we love you and we thank you so much. The precious gift of your precious son. God, I pray that we would, not just in this moment, but God, in all moments, respond accordingly to such grace. Father, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Not so that we can, God, make you love us, but because you do. Because you already do in the Son. It's in his name that we pray it.